the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verse 16 to 21, and that is found in your few Bible on page 16. That's Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 to 21. And the Lord is honored while we stand while reading his word. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because... The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. This is God's living word. Please be seated. Well, last week, as we looked at the passage just before this, We understood the majesty of God seen in his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and his omniscience. In spite of the impossibility of an 89-year-old Sarah, who had gone through menopause, being able to give birth to a child, God assured Abraham and Sarah that it would happen. Then he proved the greatness of who he is so that they could trust his word as he interacted with them and showed showed them his glory. And now these angels that had spoken to Abraham and Sarah, these angels have completed that task of telling them that within the next year, their son Isaac would be born, and they are now ready to move on to the next task that God has assigned them to do, to bring judgment on the wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains. Now, it might appear, as you were reading those, if we had read straight through from verse 1 through to verse 21, if you're reading it, these are really two different events one having to do with the promise to Abraham, and then this other one to the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you think that, you haven't been paying very close attention to our study of the book of Genesis. Two major themes have arisen as we have progressed through this book. From the original creation until this scene that Peter just read. We have the promised birth of a godly seed. And we have also been told of the wickedness of the people and God's judgment and his justice against them. 
From the serpent in the garden, to the merging of the sons of God and the daughters of men, to the Tower of Babel, the human beings had turned from the glorious God and and serving the glorious God to seek their own gods. Primarily to seek themselves. And even Abraham has several times in our studies so far tried to take things into his own hands with disastrous results. Meanwhile, we have seen God remain faithful and truthful. He has not changed his mind, nor has he changed his purpose in all that he has done. In spite of the curse of sin and the wickedness of the hearts of humanity, the Lord has remained faithful to his promise, while being also faithful in his judgment, in his justice against the wicked. And those two things, not separate, but merged together throughout the whole book of Genesis. And so this morning, as we look at these five verses, our theme states, while the Lord is omnipotent so that nothing is too hard for him, that's what we saw last week, we also see that he is just. He can do anything. Nothing is too hard. He can work miracles, and he does. But God is also just in his righteousness and his holiness. Grace and justice. God is both gracious and God is just. Those two words define the wonderful glory of God as he works in the midst of the world that that he created and that he is in the process of redeeming. As we read in Leviticus, God cannot let the guilty go unpunished. Even so, we find this just God is also a forgiving God, a gracious God. As the scripture says, he is full of both grace and mercy. And if we're going to understand how God balances those two things out, his justice and his grace and mercy, then we need to study God's revelation. You see, it is in God's revelation in the scriptures that God teaches us that he does nothing without first revealing it to his prophets. And those prophets, from the time of Moses on, those prophets have written down what God had said. Those ancient words in the Holy Bible. Now there are many today, and maybe some of them will come tonight or in the weeks to follow as we do uh, this Truth today, faith tomorrow, who question that about the Bible. They believe the Bible is just a, a man-made book, that it's just you know something in which human beings recorded their spiritual uh, experiences, but they were just human words. 
But that's not what we read in verse 17. It says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? You can put other names in there besides Abraham. You see, if we're going to know anything about God, we can only know it if He reveals it to us. If God shows us, if He doesn't reveal Himself to us clearly and unequivocally, then how can we possibly know Him? Instead, we will make up a God of our own making. A God in our own image. We need God to speak, to speak clearly, to reveal Himself to us that we might know Him. So notice that God's Word comes so that we can have perception, that we can see and understand and know who God is. Now this record that we have before us of of Abraham's interaction with the Lord's angel is not just a report on some historic event that happened 4,000 years ago. God doesn't waste the pages of the Bible. Everything in it is recorded, the Scripture says, for doctrine, correction, rebuke, and instruction in righteousness. In other words, whatever we find in the Bible has a purpose that God has for you and for me as we read it. And that is exactly what the Lord says to Abraham in verses 17 and 18. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now, the Lord does not often speak to us face to face. Even when God reveals things to the prophets, the scripture says in Numbers 12, hear my words, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not face to face as he did with Moses. So it's uncommon, even for us as believers, even for us as Christians, it's uncommon for us to hear directly from God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Out of the Silent Planet, does a really good job of reminding us that sin has built a block between us and God. That because of sin, we are deaf to God. We can't hear Him. We can't know Him. We are deaf and we are blind. We are on a silent planet that is a wall between God's communication to us because of sin. Sin has created then this impenetrable wall from our side. The scripture tells us that we have become blind, we have become deaf. Unless God acts supernaturally, unless God intervenes from his side, the spiritual realm is silent to us. No human being could possibly know God as he truly is. That's why there are so many religions of so many various kinds that we run into across this globe. That's one of the topics, by the way, that we're going to be looking at uh, in the coming weeks on a Sunday night. Christianity 
and the religions of the world. As the book of Isaiah tells us, God reveals himself to us, not we finding God. God spoke to Isaiah in Isaiah 6 and asked, who will go for me from God's side to speak the truth? The book of Judges declares, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. When it comes to seeking God, when it comes to living in the world, when it comes to determining what is right and what is wrong, because we live in this silent planet, We do not see God. We do not know God. We make up our own way. Unless God speaks to us as he did to Abraham and as he does to us through the ancient words. God hasn't left us without the opportunity of knowing him. He gave us the scriptures. The ancient words, divine revelation, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, as he communicated to us so that we might know what to believe and how to live. When God has awakened faith in us through what the scripture calls the new birth, then the Holy Spirit, who authored those scriptures, opens our eyes so that we might read it and understand it from God's perspective, and we might hear from God. In His Word, we perceive the words of life and of truth. We gain an understanding of God's character and of God's nature. As our text says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? God reveals Himself to us. But notice God's Word also comes to us that we might be proclaimers. You see, God's revelation is not meant for you to cling to for yourself. It isn't given to us so that we might be selfish about our relationship with God. Human beings are already selfish. We don't need the scriptures to make us more selfish. Unfortunately, many Christians make their Christian faith all about themselves. They keep the teachings about God to themselves and do not share it with others. They don't take the time or the concern to tell others about how they can have a relationship with God. Instead, we turn God into our own personal Santa Claus, asking God to answer our prayers and and wanting God to do things for me as if I was the center of the universe rather than God. Listen to what the Lord says is the reason that he gave Abraham this revelation in verse 18, or verse 19, sorry. For I have chosen him, this is God speaking, I have chosen Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. In other words, God is saying, I'm giving Abraham revelation so that Abraham can teach others, so that Abraham can share it with others, that he can teach and and inform others about God. 
God's revelation is given to us so that as we learn to understand it ourselves, as we become excited about it, as, as um, the video said earlier, when we, when we really understand what it means to be a Christian and to be in relationship with Christ, there's a joy that wells up and we want to share it with others. We want to tell them the good news. The text says it is because God intended for Abraham to become nations so that all of the nations of the world might be blessed in him. He revealed to Abraham what he was intending to do so that Abraham would share it with his family and his family would share it with their family and eventually it would move out until everyone in the world would hear the truth about God and know Him. So God has spoken to you. He has spoken to me through His Word by the Holy Spirit. Not just so that we can have a good time sitting in the pews and listening to me preach. That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that point. Thank you. Appreciate that. But so that we might in the thrill of knowing what it is to have a relationship with God, we might go into all the world and share the good news with them that all the peoples of the earth can hear of the glory of God and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No wonder the scripture says in Romans 10, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. This is God's intent from the beginning, as we can see here in Genesis 18. But the descendants of Abraham failed. They didn't proclaim the good news to the world. Romans 10 continues, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? But are we any better? Are we any better than Abraham's descendants in the flesh? We have even better news than the news that God had given to Abraham. We received the fulfillment of all of Scripture in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Every promise made to Abraham fully revealed in our Savior. He is as the scripture says, the final revelation of what God is doing and plans for this world. The writer of Hebrews declared it this way. He said, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Abraham received good news. Abraham received revelation from God. Through angels. But we have direct revelation straight from the Son of God so that we might proclaim His glorious truth 
to the ends of the earth. To notice that God's word comes so that we may have the promise. That we might have the promise. God could have just informed us of how wicked we were. And then said, and this is your time. I'm going to destroy you. He could have just pointed out to us the greatness of our sin, the gravity of that sin, and he could have wiped us off the face of the earth. He did it in the flood. He could have done that to us. Instead, verse 19 reminds us that God is a gracious God who has promised eternal life to those who believe. Why did God give the revelation to Abraham? So that he might share it with others, the good news of what what God's plans were. But also, it says at the end of verse 19, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised him. God's revelation to Abraham, God's revelation through the scriptures to us is the good news that we can share with the world, but also the news of God's justice and punishment for the wicked. But he has done that, he has given us that revelation so that what God has promised, that what he has said might come true for you, for me, As for Abraham, God revealed what he was going to do to Abraham so that Abraham's descendants might know the truth, that they might believe, and by faith, they might receive the fullness of God's promise. For you and me, as Christians then, the first part of this text tells us why God has given us his revelation. So that we might know God we might share that knowledge with others that God's glory might be seen throughout the world and that God's promise of eternal salvation might come to fruition in the lives of men, women, boys, and girls. But that's not the end of the story, is it? For our text goes on. Even as God graciously reveals his truth over and over again, The reality is that many reject that truth. Instead, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sin reigned in the dark hearts of the human race. The justice of a righteous and holy God demanded punishment against the wicked. What God revealed to Abraham came to him after God had already given him the promise of the birth of Isaac. In a way, it's as if God said, I have good news and I have bad news. Let me give you the good news first before I give you the bad news. God's justice is going to come, but it is not arbitrary. God doesn't act like a computer in which you enter information and therefore if this goes in, this is the result. 
Now, our text teaches us that before God acts, we see God's research. Have you ever thought about that? That God does research? Then we say last week that God is omniscient? That from before the world began, God knows everything? Absolutely everything about what is and will be? That nothing is hidden from His sight? He knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And yet at the same time, even as we look at this passage, we see that God goes down to see what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Our text introduces the bad news with verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. It's interesting, even though we know the geography of where Abraham was, which is up, and Sodom was down in the valley, that we have this phraseology, they looked down towards Sodom. It's it's as if they were saying, God is looking down on us, down on this earth. Now Abraham has come to realize that these are not just three men who happen to be passing by. He's come to realize that these are three messengers that have come from God. And he's all excited about what they have brought to him, that good news, the birth of Isaac. And he doesn't want to let them go. And so as they are getting ready to leave, he's going to walk along with them. And, and if he can give them direction as to where they should go, he's going to do that. But then one of the angels stops the, the head angel stops, and the other two continue on towards Sodom. And we get insight into what it means when we say that God is just. Notice God's justice is able to recognize sin's corruption. Nothing is hidden from His sight. From the beginning of time, God is known about human sin. Adam and Eve in the garden were not able to hide from God. He came to them even there. God confronted Adam and Eve with their rebellion. And every human being since that time has been confronted by God because of our sinful rebellion against Him as well. But did God destroy them? Did he wipe them off the face of the planet? It said, on the day that you, you sin, you will die. Well, they died in a sacrifice that God made for them, offering up an animal so that they might be covered. Their sin might be covered. Their nakedness before God might be covered. God was gracious. Merciful. Yet at some point, much later, we are told that the descendants of Adam and Eve had become so wicked that God had destroyed everyone because the heart of everyone was fully, totally wicked. And He destroyed them all in the flood, all but Noah and Noah's family. 
when the population of the world had increased again, sin reigned even more. The human heart decided that it wasn't enough just to take over this planet, that they were going to seek to rise up to the very heavens themselves as they began to build themselves the Tower of Babel in Mesopotamia. And at that point, God sought to slow down the wickedness of humanity by scattering the human race through giving all the different languages. God did that to show His patience as we read in Romans 2. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we have the account of, of God's judgment on the flood. And we're soon going to see the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities of the plains. And at the same time, even as we look at those things and see how seriously God takes sin, we will also see God's righteousness in his judgment as Second Peter reveals. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, God is not wiping us off the face of the earth because of our wickedness and sin, because he is sending forth that word through Abraham and through Abraham's descendants out to a world and saying, come, repent, Come to me. Seek forgiveness. Seek to know me. And you'll be found by me. God must justly and rightly punish all sin. But God does not act arbitrarily. He doesn't act on whim. He gives you and me every opportunity possible to heed his word And to repent. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1. He says that on that final day when we stand before God, because of God's revelation of himself in nature, in scripture, and in our conscience, because of that we will stand before him without excuse. Without excuse. Because he has called us sending forth his word, sending forth his people into the midst of this world. But there's a limit to the amount of corruption that God will allow in this world. Verse 20 indicates, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, God is going to act. God is not like the United States justice system in which there are those who are hit by the three strikes and you're out and they end up in prison for many years. But then there are others go before a different judge, a different area of the judicial system who can commit all kinds of crimes, misdemeanors and felonies. 
and not spend a day in prison. But God is not like that. God holds us fully accountable for what we do, whether good or evil. He knows what we have done, and He meets out His righteous judgment accordingly. So notice that God's justice is able to recognize not only sin's corruption, but sin's condemnation. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, was very great. When the angel says that he's going down to see what they have done, it doesn't mean that God doesn't know what's been going on. Oh, I heard rumors about something, and we've got to check out and see whether these rumors are true. God knows exactly what's going on. Peter Parker started his crusade as Spider-Man by letting a thief get away because he was mad because he wasn't paid by the wrestling promoter. You see, he didn't know everything. No matter how much strength he had. And it cost his uncle his life. But God does know everything. He knows everything that we have done and everything we will do. Nothing escapes God's sight. Nothing takes God by surprise. So what does verse 21 mean then when it says, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. That look like it means that God needs to know what's going on. See, the key is in the word altogether. It means completely or totally. In other words, God is saying, is there anyone with any good at all in Sodom and Gomorrah? I am going down to give them a chance, one final chance for repentance, one final chance to bow before me, Some believe that God is unfair if he sends people to hell for eternity because of the sins that they've committed in this world, whether it's 10 years or 30 years or 50 years or 100 years. Is eternity worth judgment on those things? Asking that question misses the point. The fact is that the heart is desperately wicked. It's rotten to the very core. You, you see sometimes when, when a, a, a prisoner receives the, the judge's verdict, some of them break down. They begin to weep. They, sh- they show remorse. They're sorrowful. But then you see the others. They laugh at the judge. They threaten the judge's family, and everyone in the courtroom, I'm going to get even with you. Well, what the Scripture tells us is that is the attitude that every human being who will ever go to hell has towards God and towards the things of God. When they hear God's, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, they will scoff at God. They will curse God. As these angels go down into Sodom, they're seeing if there's anything good 
in the heart, any act of repentance, any desire to know truth, righteousness. What they find is a whole culture of wickedness. We'll see it later on. It says that every male, every man gathered around Lot's house. The emphasis is on the fact that it's everyone. There is no good in Sodom at all. There's a culture of wickedness where no one except Lot cares about anything. And so to leave that kind of evil in the midst of this world would intensify the corruption so much that God had to destroy it like a rabid animal, virulent virus. So in the end, notice that God's justice is able to recognize sin's choice. You see, God gave the cities of the plain one final chance. God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked, even if it's essential. He offers many opportunities for repentance and for change. Our text ends with one very powerful line in verse 21. And if not, I will know. And if not, I will know. The angels went down into that town to give the final opportunity for repentance. But if that opportunity was rejected, then judgment would come, fierce and undeniable. What about you? I spoke to those who were Christians a few minutes ago and and said this is what our responsibility is, to carry the good news of the gospel out to the world so that the promise of God for salvation for those who would believe is made available. But maybe there are some sitting in this room today. You've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your own Savior. You are, in a sense, like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. You are creating your own God and your own right and wrong. This might be your last opportunity to turn from that, to confess your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. You might walk out this door and because of the rain might slip on the steps and crack your head. That would be it. Or you might have a hundred years yet. None of us knows when that last moment will be. Certainly the people in Sodom and Gomorrah did not know that the wrath of God hung over them like a cloud. Will you accept God's chance today for you to know Him? Trust in Him and find forgiveness. So, in conclusion... Have you grasped the righteousness of God's justice? How right it is. 
is justice against sin. Rebellion against God. Choosing our own way. Doing our own thing. How right it is for the Creator to bring judgment against rebellion. And for those of us who have experienced the forgiveness of God by faith in Jesus Christ, does the wonder of God's justice motivate you to share the truth with others so that they might have the opportunity to accept or reject that truth, even as the angels went down into Sodom and Gomorrah to give them that final chance. Let's pray. Our Father, look into our hearts. Stir us. If there are those in this building today who do not know what it means to be born anew, then regenerate them today. Unstop the deaf ears and open the blind eyes so that they might see and know the truth and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, call us out, O God, into the midst of this world that we might take that good news, passing it on generation to generation, that the promise might be fulfilled. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.